This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The most memorable interviews and listener calls from the week that was on Fight Back with Libby Snymer. Welcome to the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Sunday edition of the Best of Fight Back. More of what you want to hear from the week that was. Canada's response to the COVID-19 pandemic was the focus of twin reports released this week by Federal Auditor General Karen Hogan. The AG found the Trudeau Liberals' rollout of the COVID vaccine to be efficient. Hogan also gave us some numbers on the amounts of support payments like CERB that went to people who were not eligible to receive it. She pegs one figure at $4.6 billion and says the government is not doing enough to recover that money, a criticism the Liberals deny. The AG also says there's another $27.4 billion that has to be investigated because the government did not manage the aid programs efficiently, and it will likely fail to recover significant amounts in overpayments. Libby spoke with the AG herself, Karen Hogan, on Wednesday. In this audit, we looked at um, six uh, programs that the government used to support the country uh, throughout the pandemic. Five of them were related to individuals, and one was the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy that supported businesses. Um, so we did found uh, that $4.6 billion were made to ineligible recipients. And a, a good chunk of that, and really the, the majority of it, relates to um, the really the start end of the pandemic when there was some confusion where individuals um, applied for the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, both from a Service Canada outlet and the Canada Revenue Agency and received more than one payment for a subsidy period. And, and every individual is only allowed to receive one payment per period. So those, those amounts, the government is in the process of notifying all of those individuals. But more concerning is we also estimated that at least $27.4 billion in payments either to individuals or employers need to be investigated further. And it's there where I believe the government really um, needs a more comprehensive and rigorous uh, post-payment audit plan um, to identify people and businesses that received money they weren't eligible to. And now let's bring in Conservative MP and finance critic Jasraj Singh Hallan, as well as Franco Terrazano, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Let's begin with MP Singh. Um, well, let's be clear here. The Auditor General's report yesterday made something clear that the Conservatives have been worrying, warning about since 2020, and that's Liberals' wasteful spending due to lack of any checks and balances have contributed to uh, this cost of living crisis that we see today. And what, that, and what the Auditor General highlighted was that the, the same failed approach the Liberals took during the pandemic, they continue to take that same approach now and in any future programs they're going to introduce. So they haven't learned from their mistakes, and Canadians are on the hook for their continued failures. Okay. Uh, Franco, uh, what's your reaction? Oh, this is a huge sum of money. I mean, we're not talking about just a little bit of waste here. We're not talking about a little bit of waste because a program had to get rolled out the door very, very quickly. Sure, it did in the first couple months. 
but we're also talking about programs, some of them, that extended into May 2022, two years into the program. So you add up all of the suspicious payments, you add up all of the payments to ineligible Canadians, and we're looking at at least $32 billion, a huge sum of money. Now, what can $32 billion be used on? Well, to put that into context, that could build 30 hospitals across Canada, right? So the government completely failed to have guardrails in place. It looks like the CRA is, is still not exactly sure uh, just who received ineligible payments. And really, this is a huge sum of money that can't go into benefiting Canadian taxpayers, like building more hospitals, hiring more nurses, or, of course, giving Canadians a break on, uh, on taxation. What we see is that the Liberals continued their failed approach highlighted by the Auditor General that's left Canadians on the hook again for their massive failures and their massive debts. They have not learned, and like Franco highlighted, they're using that same failed approach that the Auditor General said that needs to be fixed right away on current and future programs when we're looking at rental, dental, and housing. This failed approach keeps leaving Canadians more and more on the hook that's left them going into more and more food banks with one in five Canadians skipping meals. And this holiday season, we're also seeing one in five Canadians who will have to access charitable services. They need to rein in their spending and they need to cancel their failed inflationary carbon tax. Conservative MP and finance critic Jazz Raj Singh Hallen, Franco Terrazano, the federal director of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, and before them, Federal Auditor General Karen Hogan. I'm Jane Brown, and this is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. We've learned from the National Institute on Aging, this season's flu shot vaccination rate among older people is stubbornly low. This news comes as we are experiencing a so-called triple threat of COVID, respiratory syncytial virus, or RSV, and influenza, which have been pummeling the healthcare system. And while most of the focus has been on the crisis involving children, the number of older people requiring hospitalization has been on the rise. To discuss what's going on, Libby was joined on Wednesday by Dr. Allison McGeer, microbiologist and infectious disease consultant at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto, and Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member of the Dalla-Lana School of Public Health at the University of Toronto. It confirms what many of us had um, had feared through a, a survey they found that the levels of uh, actual vaccination in the elderly against flu is is quite low, and you would have thought that COVID would be a prompt for many people to get their vaccines for the flu, but in fact that hasn't occurred. Um, so I am concerned. I see it all around us. I think everyone um, can very much say that this flu season has been particularly bad, that we know many people that have been infected and these aren't just children, which have been getting the headline from both RSV and from flu, but also the elderly. And we also know, um, and in my family this happened, including in me, that what does what is increasingly reported is you get the flu, but on top of it you get a bacterial infection that uh, can cause you to have um, congested lungs and be um, have a very uncomfortable cough or even a congested sinus. 
so uh, this is of worry. We, we are definitely in a tridemic that's causing lots of misery in the population and leading to uh, real pressures on our health system. And now I'd like to welcome Dr. Allison McGeer. Are you alarmed by this as well? Well, unfortunately, it's predictable. But there's just no question that if we could get more adults, particularly older adults, to be willing to get their flu shot every year, that that would save lives and and take pressure off the hospital system. Mm -hmm. And uh, how do you think we should do that? Uh, The National Institute of Aging is out with a new report saying that uh, the pandemic uh, actually has taught us things about improving the uptake. The pandemic's taught us lots of things, but unfortunately, I, I think at the moment, it's also made us, uh, uh, the whole population, a bit tired of getting needles and vaccines. And so I think with flu vaccines this year, we're seeing that people have said, well, there hasn't been flu around for a while. And we know when there's a quiet flu year in any given year, we know that the next year people aren't thinking about it as much and they tend not to get their flu vaccine. So that's a piece of what's happening. And then I think people are kind of tired of COVID vaccines and they're saying, ah, I don't want to get any more shots. And you know, I, I I think we are a little bit stuck on persuading people that this is just, you know, you drop into your pharmacy to pick something up, you should get your flu shot and you should put it on your list to do every year. It's not that big a deal. Um, and it's a really important disease to prevent. Dr. Ja, I mean, it's possible that people could get COVID and flu at the same time, and that would be a hellish nightmare. It certainly is. So it's all the more reason to, as, uh, as Allison has pointed out, to make sure you get up to date on both. And we have to remember that, okay, we've got um, one of the peaks of the flu season now, but we'll get another one in January or so. So even if you think, oh, well, uh, it's not like you've missed the flu season, you can still get it early as possible is the best. And I think what we should be doing is having more pharmacies, more GPs, and more of our public health messages saying, take two, go go for a two-for-one. When you go, get both, and really try to push that. Uh, we haven't done that. We haven't had the large-scale marketing or public announcements try to really encourage people to get both. What would you like to leave us with, Dr. McGeer? Yeah, you know it's going to be for me. Uh, wash your hands, get your flu shot, get your COVID vaccine, stay home when you're sick, please, and enjoy the holidays. And Dr. Jacques? Nothing to add. Exactly right. Getting um, the, the vaccines, and I would add, if you're in an indoor closed place on a public transport, wear a mask. I do. Dr. Prabhat Jha, epidemiologist and faculty member of the Dell Elena School of Public Health at U of T, and Dr. Allison McGeer, microbiologist and infectious disease consultant at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. Coming up after the break, Mississauga's mayor gets called out by the premier for not going along with his new housing legislation. Our Tune Into the Town panel discusses next. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Good isn't good enough. Make way for the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. 
Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie got into some trouble with Premier Doug Ford this past week for going public with her concerns around the PCs' new controversial housing legislation. Crombie has warned of the impact of the provincial government's legislation that limits the city's ability to collect fees from developers, saying Mississauga homeowners will pay between 5 and 10 percent more in property taxes every year for the next 10 years. Wednesday, Doug Ford told reporters that some mayors, like Bonnie Crombie, don't want to play in the sandbox and should stop whining and complaining and get on board with the plan to build more houses. While filling in for Libby, I was joined for reaction by our Tune Into the Town panel. James Pasternak is Toronto City Councillor for Ward 6, York Centre. Karen Stintz is CEO at Variety Village. And David Crombie is a former mayor of Toronto. First of all, I think Bonnie Crombie was, was registering the same concern that mayors, mayors and councillors have across the province. The province of the provincial government under Ford in the last while, through a number of bills, Bill 23, Bill 39, others, uh, has been making a direct attack on the ability of municipalities to carry out their job. He's doing that basically because he's trying to give the odds greater strength for his friends in the land development industry. He's been restricting and continues to restrict the ability of municipalities to, to carry out their job. I think it's a very dangerous time for municipalities. I'm with Bonnie Crombie. We're not related, but I'm with her. She's right. (laughs) And again, the premier's wrong. So his comment to her about just get on board, like he would just rather have all these mayors sit around nodding and being yes people rather than asking questions or raising concerns, David? Yes, he introduced Bill 39, uh, which which calls for the, 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 the mayor to be able to carry out provincial business on the council with only a minority vote. Uh, one-third of the council. Uh, and he's all promised that to go to the other municipalities around the province as well. That's why I say it's a dar- dangerous time for municipalities, and, and Bonnie's giving voice to that. Karen, what are your thoughts in hearing this tit-for-tat between Mayor Crombie and Premier Ford? I mean, I, I, I kind of side with, uh, with David on this one. I, I think that she's articulating what many people are feeling. And, and she's posing the question directly, like, you know, who pays for new growth? Is it, and, it, and it's a serious question that we need to answer because it's not just, it's new growth, it's not just about housing. It's about how do you support what all the other, like, what is all the infrastructure that's needed to support this new growth? And, you know, the federal government has set these ambitious targets around um, welcoming new Canadians, and Ford is using that as a reason to bypass democratic principles, to bypass proper funding of the new infrastructure, to bypass local decision-making. And it's, it's a very dangerous situation that's being created where you can justify all of these real uh, excesses of authority uh, in the name of building houses. And fundamentally, the question is, who pays for all this? And it's something that is not being addressed because of all the noise that's been created about the way that he has approached this legislation. James Pasternak, your view from Toronto City Hall. Well, I'll tell you, I I agree in part with Karen and David. Um, One of the biggest barriers to building housing across Toronto, and especially in my area, is aging infrastructure. 
And if you take away the opportunity to raise revenue to pay for that uh, aging infrastructure and upgrade it to current density levels, you won't get new housing. In fact, taking away those funds will slow down the building of housing. And, and we can't rely on the tax base any more than we currently do uh, to, to, to run this city. Um, municipalities have 80% of Canadians living in them. There's been de- decades of downloading. And, and, and basically, the tax base can't carry the responsibilities that we have. David, final comment from you before we switch topics? No, I think it's worth remembering that, that what's at risk here is the quality of life in the neighborhoods that will be born out of these developments. Um, there's a big difference between building places for people to live and simply like warehousing people and the building of communities at the same time. We build communities at the same time as we're building those new places by having all of these charges used for the building of things that people need in their quality of life, mm-hmm. sewers and all the, all the stuff that, that goes into making a community, including recreation, schools, and so on. So what's being cheated here are people out of a quality of life in the new communities being born. That's the big risk. David Crombie, former mayor of Toronto. James Pasternak, Toronto City Councillor for Ward 6, York Centre. And Karen Stintz, CEO at Variety Village. Fightbacks tune into the town panel, heard every Thursday after the noon news. This is Zoomer Radio's Best of Fight Back. I'm Jane Brown. As fellow Canadians, it feels as though we've known Celine Dion for such a long time. She's a national treasure and world-renowned as a singer and performer. And she comes across as so genuinely nice. I'm sure we all felt sadness when we learned on Thursday from her that she's been diagnosed with the neurological disorder stiff person syndrome. Dr. Tara Zier is the founder and CEO of the Stiff Person Syndrome Research Foundation in the U.S. And Dr. Zier also lives with SPS herself. She joined me on Thursday and talked first about her reaction to watching Celine's video. I burst into tears when I when I watched it. I mean, I can I can relate to to it and on so many levels knowing that i'm sure she went through some struggles getting diagnosed and being vulnerable to to share the information i know can be can be tough Uh, being able to appreciate that her not being able to participate the way she wants to right now i was a dentist for 20 years prior to stiff person syndrome and there's a grieving process with that i can't practice anymore and so I could relate to, you know, the way that she must be feeling. Our community has been talking, and I know, like, they're feeling some hope, you know, that, you know, she's using her beautiful voice to shine a, a light on this debilitating disease. And she used the word hope in her message, and that really resonated with me because I, that's just so important for people to have hope. Do you mind sharing with us your journey in living with it? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to share. Um, it is a spectrum disorder uh, with different levels of, of disability. I started having symptoms in uh, 2015, um, about three months after my former husband passed away, which actually triggered the disease. Um, emotional trauma can, can ah. act, actually activate the immune system. Okay. And, uh, and then I had pneumonia three months after that, and then just uh, started to have a just a 
varied symptoms from shortness of breath to increased heart rate, neck pain. And ultimately in 2017, in the beginning of that year, I had a dysautonomia where my autonomic nervous system wasn't functioning properly and lost 30 pounds in a month in March. And I am, you know, felt this enormous pressure to, to stay alive, but feeling a lack of control at the same time. What symptoms five years later are you living with? You say you can no longer practice as a dentist. Um, what is life like for you with with stiff person syndrome? Um, so, it's, so it's been a process. Um, so, so in 2017, that was the that was the worst. So I, I wasn't able to work, drive, care for myself or my kids. Had to have uh, first level living people live with me, you know, to help me to help my children. I've been pursuing a lot of things to help myself get better, including conventional medicine and holistic medicine. Um, and um, I've been able to taper on medications. It's a bit of a trade-off, though, with pain. Um, pain is a one of my main symptoms. I deal with pain every day. The muscle spasms don't stop at night, so it, it can often impact um, sleep. Uh, I've had a couple of sleep studies, and... I don't get adequate deep sleep, or uh, and also I have uh, a, an elevated number of uh, micro arousals, and I deal with uh, fatigue uh, every day. Celine says that she is working with a sports medicine therapist. Yep. What will she be going through? And uh, without putting you on the spot, how likely is it again that she will sing and perform? So I, just my mindset, and, and I, I, I kind of view myself as a realist with an optimistic spend. I, I believe that anything's possible. With physical therapy, uh, any type of, of therapy with this condition, at least my experience, my body couldn't tolerate that in the beginning. So it actually increased the muscle spasticity, the rigidity, the pain. Now I'm able to do it three days a week. And when I say do it, I mean do it like it's intense. And it does not spiral my pain to the point where I need to go to the hospital. That's kind of where I draw the line. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll do it. But with Celine, I mean, my gosh, I feel for her on so many levels, I'm rooting for her. And like I said, I, I believe anything's possible. And so I, I just really, uh, I'm, I'm with her in this, in yeah. this journey. Dr. Tara Zier, founder and CEO of the Stiff Person Syndrome Research Foundation in the U.S. I'm Jane Brown, and you're listening to the best of Fight Back. Coming up, what you had to say about the week that was and the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Zoomer Radio, pulling no punches with the best of Fight Back with Jane Brown. Fight Back with Libby Snymer has the most informed guests on the week's hot topics. And we also rely on you for your valued opinions. Here are some of this week's best calls. Sita in Mississauga phoned about Doug Ford's new housing legislation and his public feud with Bonnie Crombie. I am here to support my mayor. Bonnie, and also all other mayors, taxpayers on Bill 23. If we think we have a crisis now, people who are barely getting by and scrunching to get by after they pay the bill, taxing people more will then send them on the streets, food bank, and put a stress on the, on the healthcare system due to mental health. 
Carolyn in Halliburton phoned about the lower gas prices we've been seeing these days. My husband and I just did a little survey this morning. We live in Halliburton. We drive to Bracebridge, which is about a 45-minute drive, to do a fair bit of our shopping because it's considerably cheaper. The gas here in our little local town of Minden is 146.9. If we go to uh, Bracebridge, it's 159.6. If we go to Gravenhurst, it's 139.9. If we go to Aurelia, it's 129.9. Why such a difference? Talk about greedflation and being gouged. And now, Fightback's Knockout Call of the Week. There were a lot of great calls this week, but the winner of the Fightback Knockout Call of the Week is Darlene in Etobicoke, who phoned about getting hit with a bad case of COVID and offered some advice to the rest of us. I'm a relatively healthy 71-year-old. I got my flu shot right away, as well as my fifth uh, COVID shot, and I was um, to go on a cruise, and I came down with COVID. I uh, had to cancel my cruise. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Very disappointing, but I'm in my third week with COVID. Um, wow. And have had, uh, I'm starting to get better now, but still have a lot of uh, congestion. Um and I'd just like to say that, uh, you know, if I hadn't had the flu shot and the um, the fifth uh, COVID shot, I think I would have been so much sicker. I can only imagine how, how ill I would have felt, um, you know, because this has been a bad run as it is. And, um, yeah, by all means, get that flu shot and the COVID boosters. That does it for this week's Best of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. If you'd like to qualify for the Fight Back Knockout Call of the Week, phone us noon to one weekdays. Or if you have a comment, email us at fightback at zoomer.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Fight Back Libby and call our Fight Back voicemail anytime at 416-367-9636. I'm Jane Brown. Join me again next weekend when we'll round up the best of Fight Back. The best of Fight Back is produced by Jane Brown, Justin Eacock, and Zeev Hadi with technical production by Kelly Robotham. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.